Hey there, everyone. Welcome to another amazing episode of Secrets in the Saddle All Things Cycling Podcast with your host, Sylvie Dau and Cycling Coach. So before we get started, I have some quick announcements. I have two, actually, and they are related to winter or cycling training skills. Now, August is about the time where a lot of us start thinking about, ooh, what am I going to do to you know, improve what I'm already doing now? So you think about how am I doing on the road? What kind of skills would I love to improve and how am I going to get those skills? And that's where I have something so amazing for you. It doesn't matter where you're sitting because we're in like 35 different countries. Amazing. So this can impact all of you if it interests you or piques your interest. So the first thing is I have a cycling skills online four week workshop for women. And this is where we're going to, it's only for September and October. Each week we focus on a different skill. So first we really work on what is a smooth pedal stroke and how to get more efficient. I'm going to share with you the skills and tips and my secrets about that. And then we're going to move on to hills and then speed. And then we finish it up with nutrition. We get and we also talk about our weight training program, which is so important for strength training to become better. With this one, it's super fun because every week we do the workshop and then I give you homework and then we have a Q&A. So you basically have me as a coach for the whole month. And that is cyclingskillspro.com. Go, you can register now, secure your spot September or October. Then the next one is a much longer, more training, more uh, geared towards um, working towards goals and really drilling in the skills that A, we go through in the four-week program, pedal stroke, then we get into the drills, and it's periodized. I also help you with organizing yourself to be scheduled in your training so that you don't overdo it and you become very intentional. I just love this because a lot of people just get on the online programs and they just go for broke all the time. You have to plan it. It's an 80-20 rule, 80% um, endurance, 20% intensity. And if you're not getting that, you're just going to basically overtrain yourself and overdo it. So the 16-week program is dedicated to that and so much more. So this starts in November to March. So it's truly through the winter weight training, online program, uh, maybe some racing, group riding, all of that is going to be part. You just join us and we'll take care of your winter training. Now go to 16weekroadcycling.ca and secure your spot. Registration is not open right now, but those who are on the VIP will get a chance to secure a spot at an early bird price. So don't wait. Get on the list. All right. Take care and have an amazing day. And don't forget to ride your bike. Welcome to Secrets from the Saddle podcast. I'm Sylvie Dao, your host, fellow cyclist, bike club founder, cycling coach, bike race junkie, just truly super passionate about cycling. My journey with cycling started 20 years ago when I opened a spin studio, started a women's race team, and founded a women's only cycling club called Cycle Fit Chicks. I'm super thrilled to reveal all aspects that make the world of cycling operate. I'm so excited to be able to bring you interesting people from around the world, pro cyclists, recreational cyclists, coaches, event organizers, bike shop owners, everything and everyone you need to know or ever wondered about when it comes to cycling. I know you'll enjoy this episode.
Thank you so much for coming up for another amazing episode of Secrets from Saddle All Things Cycling Podcast with your host, Sylvie Daou. And we have an amazing coach coming to us from Scottsdale, Arizona. He's a professional athlete who started his own company. He's going to tell us all about it. His sport of choice or his sport is everything shooting, shooting sports. So like guns and archery. And so welcome, Matthew Zanis. Before we bring him out, sorry, I mean, Dr. Matthew Zanis. <laughs> like, ah. before we bring him out, I'm just going to give you a little bit more background on him because I'm super excited. Okay. So like I said, he's coming from Phoenix, Arizona, another person I now know. So when I go there, ah, I can visit all these new people. I love Arizona. Um, is a doctor of human movement and an expert in human performance. He was, he founded and, uh, okay, let me like slow down. He founded his business called Rooted in Movement. That's M-V-M-N-T. And he's going to go through the acronym, which I was like movement, but there is, is an acronym and he's going to share it with us. A company that helps athletes, coaches, other rehabilitate, um, and others rehabilitation provide, <laughs> sorry. And other rehabilitation <laughs> providers build confidence and trust in their bodies and practice through the five pillars of movement. So vitality, mindset, nutrition, and training, and that what movement stands for. Okay, Dr. Zanis works with the board uh, demographic from Olympians to with a broad demographic of Olympians from military to everyone in between. So he's going to talk about his experience. He's going to be training and traveling with some athletes that are going to Tokyo this year. His vision is to create an awareness of new ways of working with human body rehabilitation, performance, and coaching circles and bringing that alive through his philosophy that is rooted in the movement. Sorry. Yes. Oh, thank you, Matthew, <laughs> for being it. here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, uh, try not to talk too fast. That's just I should just slow I, down. I know the feeling, believe me. <laughs> I'm I'm there as well. That that's that's one of my uh, I guess characteristics as well. But thank you uh so much for for having me on here. It's exciting for me uh because you are essentially a cycling podcast, right? Yeah. That, that's that's your demographic and yeah. uh I, I am not so much an endurance athlete, um, but I work with a lot of endurance athletes. So I guess I can I can deliver some type of valuable information. You know, I joke because um, I grew up in the, in the backwoods of Pennsylvania in a very predominant baseball family. So my dad was a collegiate left-handed pitcher. My brother was a right-handed pitcher. My grandfather was actually drafted by the Pittsburgh Pirates back in the 60s. Um, so baseball was in my blood. Uh, or so I, I thought it was anyways. <laughs> like, I just, no. <laughs> uh, well, here, here's, here's the thing. Um, I just was like a genetic trash can really. Uh, <laughs> I thought, I okay, you're going to have to explain skills. that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I know you did I everything. Like, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you did everything or you just I, didn't fit into the, I didn't fit really the family the baseball mold. Yeah. I tried um, to, you know, I tried to like uh, follow in dad's footsteps. The only problem is I kept getting hurt every year because I have really hard work ethic and I would just practice more, train more, move more. And I realized really quickly that it just, it wasn't my sport, you know, and the more I practiced, the more injured I got. 
And um, it wasn't until I found weight training in high school uh, that I realized that if I got stronger and actually moved better, all these nagging pains and injuries went away. Uh, but I was actually a much, much better like football player, wrestler, sprinter, that type of thing. Um, so you got you being an endurance athlete, you guys go forever. I only ever had to run 90 feet at one time, really, like <laughs> on a the basis. So it was just like a, a, a sprint. So I, uh, I really do respect <laughs> what you all do. Um, and I like to help others that enjoy that aspect of it as well. But it's just, you know, not my cup of tea. I'm kind of like a go hard, heavy, fast type of guy. <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds like you started that way. And you're like, now how can I help others do the same, mm -hmm. but keep on going? Yeah. Sounds like it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's interesting because although I gravitate towards more of the power speed oriented type of sports and athletic endeavors, um, I realized I could really help a lot of y'all like the endurance athletes because there is something that you guys need just a little bit of and that's strength power and speed and that helps um kind of round you out so to speak and it does I, prevent a lot of the injuries and compensation patterns and dysfunctions that we see develop from you know decades worth of endurance training whether that be in the water on a bike or running yeah no i totally agree with you matt because and that's where you know i've even at like, even at my, at my age, um, <laughs> I'm seeing, no, I embrace, I like, I embraced weight train a long time ago and only because I had to, you know, and I knew that would benefit me in the long run as an athlete for what cross training, strength and power. I knew it, mm -hmm. it benefited. It helped me climb Hills better. Um, the power speed thing like everything and so I only embraced it for those factors not anything else and you know but once I turned 45 and I started to kind of assess the physical like being how I my body was changing I'm like mm -hmm. now as an athlete and a woman I have to embrace it like regardless of what I am like I just have to embrace it like all the time forever and, you know a lot of people don't like to think of forever but like forever like oh no seriously though. <laughs> you yeah, want to no, stay uh, healthy right well that's that's the vitality piece in my yeah. my, my acronym right that movement vitality mindset nutrition yeah. and training that vitality piece is um I think uh far and above the the foundation of everything really because I, I like to play the long game with athletes like I want you'd be able to participate in your sport or do your activity for as long as humanly mm -hmm. possible and not just kind of burn out like a firecracker like you see happening in a lot of, um, I'm not going to name names of types of sports, but it, it happens. <laughs> oh, and I don't think we have to go very far to see that. But before no. we get into all of that, let's, yeah. just, let's just go back to your story and how you got into wanting, like, first of all, your personal sport which is mm -hmm. all the shooting sports mm -hmm. and I got into archery a little bit I have a bow and arrow <laughs> <laughs> nice. but only for not for sport um but more for survival so okay but I do understand you, you, there's a are you like Rambo oh <laughs> uh, no I'm like hunting uh hunger games <laughs> Katniss, yeah, you got Katniss yeah, over right. here perfect I, I used to be when I my hair was longer but anyways um but 
and yeah, and it's just something, it's another thing you have to train, like really train mm-hmm. to get mm-hmm. good at. Like if you're going to kill an animal, like you need to be bang on yeah. in that. Absolutely. Um, but so how you got into deciding that was your yeah. sport and then how it moved you into your current business. Like, I'd love to go mm-hmm. there and then we'll just jet, jet right into everything sure. else. But sure. yeah, let's go back. Yeah. So I mentioned um, earlier on that I grew up in the backwoods of Pennsylvania, right? Yeah. So I'm talking like cold country, northeastern Pennsylvania. You know, it's kind of a lot like Texas where football is king. And, you know, we used to, I used to go to high school in my steel toe boots and camouflage pants. Like that's oh. how backwoods that we were. So I grew up hunting, fishing, shooting with my dad um, and actually shot competitive archery going through high school as well with 3D targets and did a lot of the the trap and skeet with the shotgun and then always grew up you know hunting with a rifle and the bow and everything like that as well the only firearm i didn't really have a lot a lot of practice with was a pistol that kind of came later on in life as i started to widen my scope of i guess (laughs) deadly tools (laughs) Um, let me just get into the faster yeah 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 so like i I, i've been doing that since the age of seven like that was like i had the the Red Rider BB gun, you know, like you shoot your eye out type of thing from Christmas. Well, school. we're looking at getting uh, something like that so we can practice yeah, shooting, yeah, but, but we're like, we got to make sure the cats aren't around. That That's where, that's where it all began. And I, yeah. I, okay. So I have to tell the story real quick because okay, good, good. I, I told you I that stories. I was um, a, a pretty uh, good archery shooter. And that's what I, I love to do from a hunting standpoint. I love bow hunting because there's, there's so much more skill involved. There's a lot of like tracking and trying to set up like scent paths and everything. There's, it's just, it's more gamified, I guess, in a way it's not just, Hey, I can take a pop shot at a deer, like 400 yards away with a rifle. Um, so I like that challenge, so to speak. But growing up, I grew up in uh, an all-seater home, so uh, on the in the woods on the top of a mountain in Pennsylvania. And my bedroom window actually uh, opened up and had like an embankment that was like 30, 40 yards away. So as a kid, I would pop open that window and take oh, yeah. my bow and I would shoot anything that happened to be walking or flying or crawling around on that embankment. So rabbits, birds, squirrels, groundhogs was another one. And I would oh, pin groundhogs them. Oh, groundhogs take them. Oh, out. man. Yeah, like <laughs> they eat your we garden. Had, we had big groundhogs up on that mountain, though, too. I'm like 30 pound groundhogs, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, like, you know, like the older they are, the teeth kind of curl. These groundhogs were old, old groundhogs. So anyway, I would shoot them and pin them to the embankment. And then usually I have to go finish them off with like a, like a 22 to the back of the head. But uh, <laughs> But that's how I got good at shooting a bow. Like shooting not a good shot. Out. You just hit them somewhere. Well, I mean, 40 yards away is a decent shot. It's like a 12-year-old kid. Um, you know, <laughs> my parents had no idea that was going on. And my dad's like, wow, you got really good at shooting a bow. I haven't seen you practice in a while. Well, <laughs> I kind of was. Um, did, did you anyway. hear me from upstairs? Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of how I, I fell in love and got really good at all, all the shooting stuff. Uh, but I didn't really gravitate towards like competing in any of the shotgun stuff or anything like that. Uh, it was more of like a, an activity, like hobby mm-hmm. for me. Uh, and out here in Arizona, we have some great shooting ranges with sporting clays and everything like that. And um, back in and this kind of like dovetails the whole business side of things as well, because, you know, I'm a firm believer in the universe, like giving you what you're ready for. And 2016 was the year I opened up my own practice. So I had gone through a couple of years of 
working in the insurance-based physical therapy clinics and realized, you know, I was jumping from clinic to clinic, not because of um, the, the clinics per se, but it was the system. Like you could, I couldn't work in a system that only allowed you to see clients every 15 minutes. And I didn't know what I was going to do, but I realized it wasn't them. It was me and way more entrepreneurial in mind. And uh, I knew I could provide a lot more quality value to the patients. And I wanted to see them for like 90 minutes at a time because I'm a, such a people person. Um, I'm actually an introvert that's very extroverted. So hold their backstory. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so I jumped ship in 2016, didn't have a plan. I just threw a table in the back of a CrossFit gym here in Phoenix, Arizona, started seeing clients, which I mean, gratefully, it solved the time problem, right? Like I was able right. to see the clients when I wanted to on my yeah. schedule for as long as I wanted to. But the best part about that, Sylvie, is that it opened up this giant window for me to do what I love doing the most, and that's network and meet people. And right. what ended up happening is one of my mentors through PT school, I went to PT school at Duke and ended up doing one of my um, rotations in Atlanta, Georgia. He gave me a call uh, right after Rio. So right after the Rio Olympics and was like, would you like to have an opportunity working with some summer Olympic athletes? And I was like, uh, say less. Who do I need to talk <laughs> <I'm> to? <there. laughs> yeah. So he ended up doing uh, work with them in like the eighties and nineties. And I guess he really liked me as a student. So I ended up giving me a call, talk to the right people. And I've been with um, our United States Olympic team since the end of 2016 after, after the Rio games. And uh, when they asked what team I wanted to work with, shooting was the first one that came to mind because I gravitated towards them a lot. Like I understand their movement patterns. I understand, um, well, one, how they move, how they operate, how they think is another big key to that. And honestly, they were a very underserved population. Okay. So you think of the Olympics, think of gymnastics and swimming and track and field and weightlifting, which get a lot of recognition. But what most people don't understand is that our Olympic shooting team actually brings back the most medals every year. Every time we have an Olympics, we bring them back the most medals. Yeah, we don't get a lot of the, the oh, recognition for see? it and the acknowledgement for it. Yeah, so um, I went to this to this group of athletes because they were actually seen as non-athletes, right? Because they don't really they don't run, they don't jump. Yeah. Okay. They, yeah. But but it's probably the most high highly skilled athletic event when it comes to movement because of the the high skill acquisition with um, the hand eye coordination having to be able to move through uh, different planes of motion, utilizing their feet and actually be accurate with their gun and their timing. Because those targets, especially with the shotgun, the clay targets are moving at like 65 miles an hour and you have to get two of them within 1.7 seconds. That's extremely fast. Yeah, that is fast. But there's more than just that event in the Olympics right. because there's the standing archery too. So and then there's yep. skeet shooting. Like that's, that's yep. Olympic. Yep. So Skeet shooting where the targets are crossing, the clay targets are crossing each other, and then trap, oh, wow. which is a big bunker out in front of you, and the targets move out away from you at varying angles and speeds. So, right. yeah, and those are two shotgun the, games. Yeah, then then you have the standing archery, like where you mm -hmm. have to hit the the um, different distances the target. of the targets. Yep. Yeah, and then you also and then the same thing with uh, pistol and rifle. So the oh, pistol and oh. rifle events. There's a three-position rifle where you're laying prone on the ground, kneeling and standing, and yeah, there's varying distances for that. Yeah. And then also with the pistol, um, there's rapid-fire pistol, and then there's varying distances of uh, pistol competitions as well. And we have like hey. air gun versus small bore. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of moving parts with it. We get it. Do, do they even showcase that on the Olympics? 
<laughs> the problem is, is it's not very TV friendly, right? Uh, well, I can, yeah. Yeah. There's not much strategy. Yeah. Yeah, well, and they haven't, and they've been trying. They've been, they really have been trying because I've been traveling with them for a long time and we've been trying um, different ways of televising the events and gamifying it a little bit more with announcers. And the one time we were in uh, Dubai, no, no, no. Uh, yeah, it was Dubai. We were in Dubai and they tried to do like a, a penalty flag thing like you do with football and gave the coaches these like challenge flags. <laughs> oh my gosh, how did that go? And asked them to throw them out if they thought that their athlete actually hit the target or anything. I mean, it was entertaining. It was there. I'm sitting next to the coach. I'm like, Jay, Jay, throw the flag. Throw the flag. <laughs> <laughs> I think she hit it. Uh, but just for shits and giggles. Like, I just wanted to see it happen. Like, it wasn't, um, you weren't given, like, any Everybody's like, what challenge. the hell? Where'd that yeah, come? I know. It was just, it was a fun event. So, and I got to give them <laughs> credit like, for actually trying to make it more entertaining. But if you <laughs> shoot and you, you have fun with it and you know how the sport is, being played for lack of a better term it is yeah. actually really fun and entertaining to watch especially the finals yeah because um when i joined the archery club here a couple of years ago they practiced inside all winter um mm. with different uh boards to hit like different distances in a gym and then outside here they have a club that's outside and they have a whole um circuit where you can go and you hit like you, you know the stuffed um deer and things like that so you have to go around and they have competitions mm -hmm. for that too and that is for me would be really entertaining to kind of watch over like just a standing thing so yeah but uh yeah it was it was super interesting to to know and they're like yeah it's like competitions every weekend what what there's competitions like i could be competitive in this oh yeah and then and then i started looking at everybody else's bows and arrows and i started having bow and arrow envy and then <laughs> sylvie it is i kid you not like you think you oh, like you're a cyclist i know how much your bikes cost, yeah right oh, yeah. Like ten thousand dollars plus and uh, the same thing with these shotguns, they start at like $13,000 uh, with the bows. Like I'm, I, my bow is a few thousand dollars as well with all the yeah. different add-ons I have onto it. And the, the arrows are expensive, just like the ammunition is expensive. So it, it adds up real quick, especially when you're a high performer with it. Especially when you're practicing with those bows and it splits, you're like, fuck, there's a $10 <laughs> bow. Crap. Oh yeah. So I was, I was shooting in my backyard. <laughs> I have exactly like a 30 yard distance from one oh. end to end. And um, I put up a, uh, well, two things happened. I put up a, one of those um, like box targets. So it's just yeah. like a big bag. And that, yeah, I have know, one of those. Soft zero. Well, okay. So I've got a 70 pound draw weight on my bow. Right. Oh. And I shoot. But that's a compound bow. It's a compound bow. It's not yeah. a recurve and it's got a 400 grain arrow. So my arrows are buzzing. Like they're moving fast. And they're I had the bag up against, them. well, I had the they bag have the up big, against They the have the big block. metal piece on like. Yeah. The got the, yeah. 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 So I had the bag up against the cinder block wall and I shot my oh. first shot and son of a bitch, the arrow went through the target and put a hole in the cinder block. That's how fast that arrow was moving. Whoa. Didn't break the arrow or anything. It just kind of went in there. And then um, <laughs> that same day I did something I've never done in my life before, which is actually split the arrow with another oh. arrow. And it wasn't intentional. It just happened. But the same thing came to mind. It's like, well, there's $12 down the drain now. It's like, shit. Yeah, that was fabulous. Take a picture. Fuck. Take a picture. Yeah, I could send you that then. I did actually document it. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. So, yeah. all right. So you've, so you've decided on your sport. 
-hmm. And that's super. So, so did you get competitive in it yourself? Like when you made this decision that that's kind of where you're going to go? So did, were you a competitive athlete in there or did, was it always just a passion from childhood and you decide to make it your business? Yeah. So it was a, a passion from childhood. The only thing I did actually compete in was the archery stuff, uh, okay. but shotgun shooting and, and everything is still very, very much um, a, a very intense hobby for me. We'll call it that. Uh, so I, I get out and shoot as much as I possibly can as well. Uh, but yeah, so that passion actually did actually set the, the keystone for my, my practice because I mm -hmm. developed myself into this niche unknowingly really uh, yeah. when all the, the Olympic shooting stuff started because I started getting a lot of Phoenix Fire and police all these very much like tactical right. athletes and then I started speaking for the NSCA tactical division so um, working with the paramilitary so army navy air force um, wow. and I have a, a contract with SEAL Team 6 so Navy Special Warfare as well Ooh. and I'm actually going to see them in July so right before the Olympics we're going to be it's going to be like a yeah, it's going to be a very jump hectic You're going to jump over to, where are they? Like San Diego? Well, there's one, there's teams in San Diego and there are teams up in uh, Damneck, Virginia. So oh, it just, okay. it seems like all these um, trips seem to coincide. So in 2019, I went to work with them in August. This is a funny story. So went to work with them in Damneck, Virginia in August, which was like hot and humid. And I had to fly right from there to the Pan American Games, which were being hosted in Lima, Peru. So I went from Damneck, Virginia, 90 plus degrees, hot and humid. And then my brain, I had a blonde moment. Um, I give myself one a day. And that was a pretty big one. And I didn't realize that Lima was below the equator. <laughs> so I flew down there and I'm in the air. And I remember having this vivid moment of like, oh, shit, get down there. And of course, it's like 50 degrees and raining. And here I am with like all my summer gear. So thank God. <laughs> for Nike supplying us with a couple thousand dollars worth of uh, equipment and clothing down there. Cause I wore the same stuff day after day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what do you get for two weeks straight? What are you going to do? Uh, <laughs> oh, well, at least you don't have to worry yeah. about doing lots of laundry. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have, like, I mean, the, so the concrete was still setting in the building. When we got down there. That's how, uh, oh my sure God. They were. yeah, it was, um, it was, a uh, it was a, a unique experience we'll call it that <laughs> yeah I did a I did a podcast actually episode with one of the girls who was on the track uh the track uh para athlete team down mm -hmm. in Lima I don't know if you guys were I don't think yeah para. I work with the, with the paras as well oh mm -hmm. awesome yep yep so, great once again another great demographic of athletes to work with like they're they're so grateful and the, the amount of um effort that they put in is man it's it's you can't compare it to anybody it's just mm -hmm. so inspiring to watch them succeed in what they do crazy yeah. yeah i know my daughter was um was asked to well no she got into the so she's visually impaired so she has to ride a tandem bike mm. and uh yeah she was asked to well she applied and she got accepted by the the ontario para athlete next gen mm -hmm. group so you know training to come up you know because there's there's a lot of para-athlete well the, sorry there aren't a lot of para-athletes um that sorry there are a lot of para-tandem athletes so visually impaired there's a lot trikes there aren't so many you know what i mean so mm -hmm. um 
So yeah, so I'm like, you have to train a lot to get in this because there's a lot of competition. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but yeah, so it's kind of exciting. Now you're so you've gone from getting moving and and being uh sorry uh being um I want to say um what's the word I'm looking for found like somebody found you to get into discovered <laughs> discovered. discovered that's what I'm looking for <laughs> discovered somebody discovered you and now you've got all these contracts so how did you start your 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 business because you said did you say you started it in 2016 16 mm -hmm. and then yeah. you got and then you started being axed all over the place so now are you do you have a, a solid spot or are you still like working one -on -one? yeah so it's a it's an it's an interesting um sorry i just flung a hair tie um uh, anyway uh, <laughs> People can't see me. I've got long flowing blonde locks. Oh, don't worry. You'll be on my YouTube channel. Oh, perfect. Can't, can't wait. Then. <laughs> oh, that's a good thing. Did maybe. I mention that? Uh, no, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you Canadians are always so apologetic, right? I know. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, got, I got a lot of Canadian friends. We hang out with the Canadians. Uh, the Olympics We're stuff, fun. You know, all the time. You guys are so much fun. And you know how to party, too. It's great. Oh, we do. Uh, anyway, what was the question there? <laughs> Oh, your oh, business. Started, yeah, yeah, Is it, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, so are you, do you have like a solid location or are you kind of like traveling? Do you go yeah, so to people's what, houses? You know, what I, so I started doing that in the beginning, right? I was mm -hmm. on a full clinic, clinic schedule, five to six days a week, jam-packed, uh, built myself up to a uh, six-figure business with it all. And it was, it was fun. It was like, a, it's a passion project for me. You know, this isn't work. Um, working with the human body, it's like a giant puzzle. I'm such a puzzle guy. And so it's like playtime, right? I'm like, how can I put these pieces together and help them <laughs> actually help the athletes put the pieces together? Because, right. you know, in, in reality, I'm just a guide, like doctor means teacher educator. And that's uh, what I ended up finding out that I was way more passionate about was the teaching and the education side of things, right? So my, my big purpose here uh, on this planet is to be able to impact as many people as I can. And the way that I do that is through mentorship and teaching and education. Um, so I love speaking on stages. <laughs> you know, I love uh, getting up and creating courses and content and everything like that because um, it allows me to be me. Like this is where my true personality shines like you're seeing right now and it kind of flows through. So I'm actually gonna be flying to Tokyo flying back from Tokyo and then presenting for the NSCA tactical events the next day. So I get in on August 4th, present at 8 a.m. on August 5th. Oh yeah. Yeah. You it's can't be hang out in wire. Tokyo. No, we're not allowed You're to. You're like so. an, it's like an in and out. You do yeah. your stuff and you leave. Yeah. Well. So now, like now currently I do have my own, um, it's like brick and mortar business, but I'm only yeah. seeing clients about a day to day and a half out of every week because oh, the rest wow. of the time is spent traveling and it's uh, working. I work a lot online with remote programming with athletes all over the world. Um, it was interesting uh, when all the COVID stuff went down, <laughs> you know, like, <gasps> we, got, we all got put into our houses, right? Like uh, nobody could travel. Nobody could, I couldn't work, right? I couldn't put my hands on anybody. Um, and I had PTs reaching out to me via email and in my Instagram DMs. And they're like, Ricky Bobby from Talladega Nights. Like, I don't know what to do with my hands. And that's where my mentorship evolved because I was like, you guys are supposed to be doctors <laughs> of movements, right? And we should be able to visualize via a computer screen and not have to put our hands on somebody to help 
them get better, right? Where, like I said, we're the guide, we're the teacher, we're the educator. Um, that's what I, I, I really, really uh, am passionate about doing is, uh, is helping other clinicians then learn how to view movement from the philosophy than the lens that I view it through and then be able to impact their demographic and their clientele. Uh, so I developed a whole entire mentorship program uh, back in the early March of, of 2020. And I've taken about eight clinicians through it now as well. Wow. So starting to get the train rolling on that. But it's, it's like I said, it's so, so much fun for me. And then I, I keep my, my coaching and my clinician skills sharp by still working with uh, people in person. Like I said, I could, I could maybe a couple of days a week. Well, amongst all the, the traveling. And yeah, the that sounds crazy. Now. Yeah. Did you like when COVID hit, you're like, oh my gosh, I can sleep now. <laughs> like well, take a yeah, month. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I actually made, had more business during the first year of COVID than ever. And that's because my ability to transition online, right. And be able to then utilize my time more effectively and efficiently while still helping as many people as I could. <laughs> it's, all, like, it's all about the pivot right how well can you it pivot? is it is and you know I pivoted myself personally um and to working out personally in my home which I I've never had I've had my a weight training area for like eight years mm -hmm. <clears throat> even longer and I've never used it until then and then I started teaching classes online I'm like, nice. well, why didn't I like do this like forever ago? Cause like I have all this and it's, it's so strange where some things cause you to really look outside the box when you just, they've been sitting in it yeah. for so long and you're just like, oh, Jesus. It's that gentle <laughs> nudge, that push. Yeah. In that direction. Like, it's yeah. more like throwing you out. Like, okay, you got to do something <laughs> like now or uh, <laughs> what are you going to do? So you have your athletes. Now you talk a lot about rehab mm -hmm. and chronic pain and risk reduction. So let's talk about that. Cause I believe that's majority of your business is kind of yeah. like keeping athletes by reducing like risk reduction to keep them yeah. from getting injured. And we all know that that is a huge endeavor for some athletes. It is. No, it is. <laughs> for some it is. individuals um, to be able to slow down to recover. Like, so how do you work with them on their mindset? Because we've all know that, mm. that friend or that athlete who's injured, but they're like, oh, I feel so guilty because I can't go running. And you're like, what do you do with that person? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a very deep rabbit hole. <laughs> to I know. Down. <laughs> so, <laughs> Excuse me. I'll, I'll try to keep this as, as, as high level as you can. Um, but I think it, it's important to acknowledge the fact that like pain is always going to be around. Like we're never going to be able to fully get rid of it. We don't want to either. Like it's a part of the human experience. Um, and, and the same thing with injury, as much as we would love to completely prevent it, it's just, it's not realistic. And especially for high level athletes, when you're training at that high level, you are also putting yourself up for a higher risk of injury just from the very nature of your athleticism and your sport. Like there's higher forces involved, there's more training volume, there's more load, which means now that there's more time devoted towards potentially getting hurt, right? Yeah. And uh, so where, where I always start with all this is this idea of, of pain not ever 
you know, being this, this negative boogeyman that we all make it out to be, right? Pain and injury are all learning experiences, right? If, as long as we are in a mindset where we can acknowledge them and actually learn from them, right? So for me, you know, go ahead. A nail on the, or the head on the, yeah. a nail on the head's like acknowledgement, I think is. Yeah. Well, a lot of people. Like, and, and this is, and this is, this is the gift of injury, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, my whole, my whole, my seriously though, like my whole movement philosophy of, of being an athlete and, you know, I played sports from the age of four, right? I, that's when my dad first strapped cleats onto me and I started playing t-ball and soccer. And then that went all the way through high school and then into my first year of college and then transitioned into all of this like aesthetics, bodybuilding at a small modeling mm-hmm. career as well. Fun little tidbit. I can see that. <laughs> 18 to 20 ish um and then got into all of the the power lifting and the crossfit and the strong man and into i went back to training like an athlete and playing sports again and now i'm into this whole uh like body weight um gymnastics oriented stuff like a lot of if you see watch my instagram stories and stuff i've got project balls to the floor because i'm going after the middle splits and the forward backward splits along with freestanding handstands and a single arm chin up um, so it's just, it's just new endeavors for me. But the reason why I'm, I'm telling you this is because along that whole entire journey, I fucked myself up a lot. <laughs> like there, there were I love the of, honesty. Oh, seriously. <laughs> like there was, I'm just fully transparent with it. There are a lot of pain experiences or a lot of injuries, but the beauty about that is I learned from every single one of them. Mm-hmm. And those are the tools and the experiences now that I utilize to help other athletes in my practice because I've been there before, right? That's, that's where a lot of my, um, I guess my superpowers come from is this idea of pattern recognition where I've worked with so many athletes. I've jacked myself up so many times that I can understand now from a movement pattern perspective, how you potentially could be setting yourself up for pain or injury. And that's where I like to try and get ahead of it. And a lot of my in-person sessions are 90 minutes to two hours long because the first 45 minutes or so is spent just talking and learning your story and getting to know you and understand who you are, how you think, what makes you tick, what kind of belief systems you have around pain, how you were brought up, all the conditioning and the programming, because all that matters, right? And my my main goal is to help reframe this whole entire um, idea of pain and movement and restructure the mindset surrounding it, because then we could utilize that as a tool. Once we break down the walls of um, I guess, resistance to pain and create a, a larger breadth of understanding. It's no longer scary. It's no longer fearful. And when we understand something more, our brain actually feels safer and it feels more secure around our body and we're more confident. We trust it more. And guess what that does to the pain signals? Brings them right down. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because you're, it's always a threat response. Like pain mm-hmm. is not always something that is um, physical, right? We know that we could MRI like a thousand people and 90% of people come back with all this nasty pathology. So like disc herniation, stress fractures, uh, torn menisci in the knee, you name it, yet be completely pain-free. So it all comes down to our understanding of what we think is going on inside of our body versus what is actually going on. So if we've reduced the level of threat through a greater level of education and understanding and safety and security, which can be accomplished via talking. And then also the other side of coin with movement and teaching um, the brain that it's okay and is safe to move into these patterns. You start to see pain 
go down. And actually risk reduction of injury goes down from the standpoint now the athletes are no longer hesitating. That's a key factor because hesitation slows you down, right? And it makes you think more about your movement, causing a lot of paralysis by analysis. And that's when we see athletes tend to get hurt. The same okay. thing with, sorry, go ahead. Can you give an example of that? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. I want an example. So I was just, I was thinking a lot of stuff, but you're talking about, yeah. Yeah. That so like a very, paralysis. yeah. So a very easy one to think about is like an ACL injury, right? Right. ACL injury in the knee, knee it's a ligament that um, is a, what we call a passive restraint for stability. And you see a lot of non-contact ACL tears in sports like football and soccer and everything mm -hmm. because athletes will go and plant and cut and change direction. And then they get put into a compromised position, can't control it and ligament tears. Now there's a lot of factors that go into it, but just to kind of center it around this idea of hesitating, right? If you go and you plant to maybe chase after a ball or kind of stave off a defender, our body is, it, it's, built to be reflexive in nature. And what I mean by that is it's, it's built to work with gravity pushing down on us and ground reaction forces pushing up on us. And the quicker that we can get the foot off the ground, the less likely we are of injuring ourselves because we engage the spring-like system inside of our tendons. We use our fascial network, which is like a Wi-Fi network. So it sends information quickly and we transfer energy efficiently. But when we're thinking about something like, let's just say, you know, we had some knee pain or maybe we tore a hamstring earlier in the season and we're kind of getting put into a position again where we maybe hurt ourselves before the brain starts overanalyzing thinking about like the safety of the movement pattern and it starts to like uh like contract everything around it right we call them like a, like a co-contraction especially like around the knee and when it does that it shuts down all these reflexive um, signals like our proprioceptors and our interoceptors that tell us the body how to move efficiently. And we end up compromising ourselves because we end up working too hard, <laughs> right? We try to protect ourselves in a, in a way and it doesn't allow everything to move like uh, it's like a, like a, a communicate effectively. And when we can't communicate effectively, that's when these injuries tend to occur. And would overcompensation be, be part of that? Yeah. Like overcompensation is a very, that's another very deep term as well. Uh, yeah. I use it, so. I use it like in cycling because, um, well, with, with leg strength differences, mm -hmm. you know, and you can always feel like one leg is stronger than the other, whether like you had an injury on one leg and the other leg is compensating for the weakness of the, the opposite leg. Sure, sure. Um, and working through that with, leg drills, um, uh, single leg, uh, like strength training mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that they kind of balance themselves out. You know what I mean? And, and that's, that's the interesting part about, um, yeah. I've got like a love hate relationship with the term compensation too, because uh, well, yeah. like, like our body is, is not symmetrical to begin with, right? Like we've got organs in different places like it, it affects um our anthropometrics which is like how our body is built right everybody's yeah. got different length tension relation it, it, it's there's a lot going on there but from a uh compensation standpoint you can think and you brought up a really good point here like if you experience an injury that's mm -hmm. a physical trauma we can yeah. also experience trauma in the form of like 
emotional, psychological, spiritual, sexual trauma, all those type gets kind of put into the same bucket because it creates stress. And that stress then tends to lead into a dysfunction. So like, let's just say you sprained an ankle, like you said, you're going to take weight off that leg temporarily, put it over maybe onto the right side if you sprained the left, and that's going to allow you to offset that leg to allow it to heal which isn't a problem that's supposed to happen. Like dysfunction, that dysfunction is normal. The problem becomes is when that turns into um, permanent compensation patterns, right? Where the brain yeah. never learns to retrust that leg again. And all of a sudden right. we are subconsciously or unconsciously moving throughout our day, playing our sport, running, biking, whatever, and unknowingly adding more stress to that side. And what ends up happening is you create more, stress to those tissues, like specific tissues over and over and over again. And at that point, the body's only left with one of two options. You know what they are? (laughs) (laughs) You pull a muscle? Yep, that's the first one, right? So we actually hurt ourselves, injury. That's where pathological tissue damage occurs. We take it to a certain point and the threshold is is reached and we can't can't compensate. And that's it, that's it, right? And that tends to happen usually in men more than women because we have egos and we will literally put our head (laughs) through a wall despite our bodies. Mm -hmm. The other option is we create new compensation patterns to offset the old ones. Yeah. And that's you women. That typically happens because this is what, (laughs) bear with me here. (laughs) You women are smarter than us dudes. I'm telling you that right now. You are. You 100% are because you're more in tune with your body typically. Uh, yes. I had a sample size yeah. of, of both men and women. Women are way more in tune with their body for a number of reasons as well. And you're like, hey, something's going on here. So let's just kind of, you know, intuitively work around this. The problem yeah, is no. you keep going around, <laughs> right, but you keep going around around the cycle because you never got back to that original trauma or that dysfunction. So oh, that, I never took care of it, but never I kind of go of in the circle. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my job. I try to get people back to that trauma dysfunction. And a lot of time it comes back to that conversation that we have of going through your history and everything like that to understand Mm -hmm. where that trauma is, where the source of that trauma is actually located. Okay. I have some trauma for you. Okay. (laughs) We all do. (laughs) I'm like, Okay, so I had this hamstring, I won't call it a tear, and I'm not going to expect you to, to analyze this, but it's been with me for 25 years. Okay, and, and so this was an ultimate injury, ultimate Frisbee injury. I'm sure that's where I came from. about you, but okay, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only place that I can, I can pin it down, and that was like between 25 and 30, when I was 25 and 30 years old. And I can still feel it. it doesn't affect me when I cycle, thankfully. Um, but I did every, well, I like to think I, I did everything. Like I stopped running. I stopped doing all these things. I've strength trained and it, and I just think like, and it's not a chronic thing, but it's just always kind of there. And I don't, I just figure like, it's not going to go away. I had it x-rays. I had MRIs. It's like scar tissue stuff like that. I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily call it scar tissue. Here's the thing. Uh, scar tissue doesn't tend to develop unless you've had some type of insidious trauma, like a surgery or you had broke a bone or actually physically tore the muscle where yeah. there was like bruising and bleeding and everything involved. Right. Uh, so scar tissue doesn't usually develop unless there's those uh, scenarios in place first. Mm-hmm. So what 
my brain goes to from a general understanding based on the brief little history that you told me there <laughs> is that it's 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 more neurological in nature right and what i would have you do is if i were to work with you is take act take a look at your feet and see how they're impacting the ground um oh. because the, that's my other passion like hashtag low-key foot fetish um it's <laughs> It's one of those things where uh, the the foot is the is the lens from which I view movement because it's our only contact point of the ground, right? right. Yeah, yeah. So I, I told you I'm all about effect or efficiency, and um, I can get a lot, make a lot of impact, and have a lot of change in a short period of time by changing the way the foot is handling gravity and those grand reaction forces, right? Because that will change biomechanically what happens up the chain. And where your hamstrings are, not too far away from the foot and the ankle. Yes. Right. And and they need to either respond isometrically, essentially, concentrically, based on how the foot is placed, which impacts kind of the orientation of the knee and what the hips doing, which is the other point of a contact with the hamstrings as well. Um, yeah. So I would almost one hundred percent bet it is a foot problem that is then relating up to the pelvic floor, changing the pelvic orientation of your hips. Yes. I do believe that um, I'm trying to like which hamstring is it? <laughs> but one of my legs is a tad um, shorter than the other, and I've always had like hip imbalances, kind of like because I when I when I stand, I always like on one mm -hmm. side, like it's always like this. Like even when I sit, I'm kind of like, well, it's like this side. So those are your naturals. I mean. Those are your natural patterns that you build yourself yeah. into. Like I told you, I was a baseball player for a long time. And since you're using video, I can kind of show you this here. Yeah. Uh, because I, I'm right-handed and I threw and bat it right-handed, you can yeah. see if I actually take my feet and turn them face forward, like railroad tracks, yeah. you can watch my hips will actually naturally drift to the left. Yeah. Because they're used to they're used to pivoting and rotating over that left leg. Oh, now that okay. is and that was neurologically ingrained in me from a very early age when I started doing that like four, which is, you know, God bless my father. He just tried to get me into what he knew best. Um, but my kids moving down the road, they'll do things like gymnastics and wrestling and martial arts and dance to learn more robust patterns and then specialize in some type of sport later on. You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty with all this. But same thing with your hips, you know, leg length discrepancies are very rare very very like anatomical ones but what you could have is what we call functional leg length discrepancy which is more based on um, your muscle firing patterns and synergies right so where you hold yourself or tighter so it it kind of pulls on one side that like so tightness is an interesting phenomenon oh, as okay. well. <laughs> yeah so like, tightness yeah. tightness is a feeling tightness is a feeling um <laughs> It, it's more so to do so here quick little i don't know if it's a feeling here. i'm just saying like a tightness yeah. or a shortening of sure ligaments or no no not ligaments um like the muscle belly yeah yeah i don't know so we come back to neurological theory <laughs> this is a <laughs> rabbit hole you're talking about right <laughs> oh I, I love it i love it um but the way your brain works if it if it feels like it can't control either a range of motion um, or a movement pattern or even an activity of like what you're doing, it will mm -hmm. either send out pain signals, right? To prevent you from going into it as a protective mechanism or it'll neurologically tighten you up. 
So it will oh, actually okay. give you the sensations of tightness if it feels like it's not strong enough or in control enough to help allow you to go through that range. It's a defensive mm -hmm. mechanism, which is why the, I'm going to use a term which I don't like using here of stretching because it's, it's a conundrum. Um, but it's not, doesn't always come down to stretching. What we see with this is it's more of like a loaded scenario that's going to be more beneficial. And there's four different types of stretching. There's, you know, active dynamic, active static, passive dynamic, passive static type of stuff. Um, so everything is a stretch. It's just how you <laughs> execute it that matters. Um, so actually, <laughs> yeah, that's always literally, literally every training we do is a stretch. <laughs> like I'll just go out there and say that right now. Every yeah. single type of training we do is a stretch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just depends on how, like I said, you implemented that. That really matters. But mm -hmm. the passive static type of stretching where you are not moving and you're not contracting your muscles just doesn't seem to be as beneficial in the literature for hamstring issues. It's more so the loaded active static, which we call isometric drills. You're working really hard and holding a certain position or active dynamic is, which is what you typically see as like um, mobility drills on Instagram or like loaded weight movements, like single leg movements, like you were talking about. But once again, it all comes down to how your foot's impacting the ground that makes uh, the impact of whether or not you're getting what you want out of the movement. There should be an intention behind it. And that's what sets it apart. Oh I know, God, okay. sorry. How do we, how do we climb <laughs> out of there? Okay, hold on. Let's let's go back to uh <laughs> let's go back to you talked you mentioned that you have a podcast you're starting. Mm -hmm. So tell me about well tell everybody about your podcast yeah. because yeah. you know we're gonna be adding well we'll have the link there so that when you guys hear this, you can go and check out Matt's podcast. And so what is the, what is your, like your topic? What are you going to be talking about? Mm. So it's, it's called Rooted, <laughs> it's Rooted in Movement, the podcast. I know. Uh, and it's, it's something that I've been dreaming about for a number of years now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I always made an excuse of not having time, but I think excuses are bullshit. It's just, we just haven't prioritized it yet. Yeah, so exactly. I prioritized yeah. it this year. You prioritize, you put it at the top of the list and you're put like, at the top of the list. I'm doing it. And it, it's so what's really it called? Rooted in movement, the podcast. Rooted in movement. Okay. So this is like basically the name of your business. All right. Let's yes, talk exactly. about it. So. Uh, the majority of the episodes are solo episodes, mainly because it's an outlet for me to voice my opinion and be the salty motherfucker that I am. Uh, so hey, that's what podcasts <laughs> I, for exactly. one, cannot talk like that. That's why I have, I interview interesting people like yourself. <laughs> Thank you. I, I don't Appreciate know if I can that. do that. I'm interesting. Great. You are. Uh, <laughs> I'm, happy, I'm happy you think so. At least that, that makes sense. <laughs> I'm sure my girlfriend feels the same way too, but uh, yeah. <laughs> there's at least two people out there then. Um, anyway, <laughs> maybe she doesn't, who knows? <laughs> but yeah, so with a lot you, of it must. Is, exactly. <laughs> we, we would expect that. Um, but anyway, so, so a lot of these episodes are for me uh, to have a platform to voice my opinions on everything uh, that is involved in the health and fitness industry. Mm -hmm. Anything that has to do with strength, conditioning, rehabilitation, movement, it's going to be on there and you're going to hear my philosophy and my opinion about it. And I like to dispel a lot of myths. I like to debunk a lot of popular opinions and I like to battle the bullshit when it comes to what is commonly out there in the social media realm. Right? Everybody can yeah. apparently be a, a coach and a, a, an Instagram PT these days, but 
Anyway, <laughs> I know I've seen aside, some of your Instagrams. They're pretty funny. Yeah. I need to be more funny. I don't know. I'm like, oh, well, once again, God. at least there's somebody reading them. So much energy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I will bring on other other guests as well from um, other like-minded professionals and coaches that I've come to know over my, oh shit, I'm going to date it now. I've been working with athletes since 2008. So it's been a long time. Um, so amongst those number of years of working with athletes and working with other providers and colleagues and bringing them on to help share their perspective and viewpoints on everything as well. And the cool part is that I travel like eight months out of the year with my Olympic teams. So I'm usually on six continents every year and we're kicking that off um, next year with I think a trip to Morocco. We got like Morocco and Cyprus and Italy and Jeez. South Korea and Dubai and Peru and everything on the list again. And I'm bringing the mic along with me. So I'll be recording these podcasts in real time from various countries all over the world and providing my insights and perspectives from, I guess, multifaceted cultures. <laughs> That'll be super cool because you could probably don't even need your bike, you, Mike. You could probably just voice text it into your phone and then upload it. And I can see you walking around like, oh, I, I need to say something. Yep. Good, like 10 minutes. Again, all right, I got something else, just a second. <laughs> and my, <laughs> my dream, my dream with this would be able to get some of these um, uh, foreign athletes from all over the world yeah. onto the podcast as well. And coaches and like get all their perspectives from their neck of the woods. Mm -hmm. I mean, that- and Stories, that most itself. of the stories. I wanna hear stories. That's yeah. what this is all about, yeah. Yeah, and that's why I started this podcast because I reach out to, like I've been, I've interviewed people pretty much across the world I haven't hit Australia and New Zealand yet but um over in the UK and um and Africa and so I just the stories are extraordinary mm -hmm. and what people are doing on bikes and it, they just need to be shared with more people because mm -hmm. psych bicycling is just becoming a much bigger I can't it's not even a sport it's just a much bigger way of getting around um, a social thing uh clubs groups and um touring is getting yes. huge like people are doing more more uh, trips around that it's just like wow it's so cool to hear how people oh. get into it and why absolutely and yeah. i am um, two things come to mind with that number one mm -hmm. i'm really good friends with the australians so i'll make some connections oh. for you to get some australians on the podcast yeah. they're, they're just fun to talk to let's be honest folks like their accent is so sexy like yeah just like, just man or woman whatever preference you have yeah <laughs> like just just talk i just yeah. want to sit here and listen to you talk um <laughs> anyway and this, the second thing is i do actually have a cruiser bike in here in in uh, oh, phoenix that we use to kind of go around to all the, the bars and stuff but we were in um <laughs> encinitas california and we I was with my girlfriend and one of her friends and we rented some of these, you ever see these like the electric bikes where you can pedal them, but they also have like a motor to them as well. Yeah, they're all over, we end, yeah. We end up going between Carlsbad and Encinitas and uh, those two use the motor most of the time. And I'm like, fuck that, this is a bike. I haven't been on a bike in a long time. I'm gonna pedal this thing. So we ended up, <laughs> I ended up pedaling like 30 some miles. Wow. And by the, by the end of the day, like we'd been drinking tequila all day long. And uh, at the end of the day, we're going, finally going back to the hotel. And, and I was you like, don't want to know right. a statistic, Mac, Matt, about <laughs> men and biking and alcohol. It's not a good. I'm sure it's pretty high. 
It is pretty high. (laughs) Don't tell me. I've already got enough useless facts up in this noggin. Yeah, I know. uh, (laughs) I'm just Uh, glad you're still alive. (laughs) Still alive. But uh, I was finally going to like use the use the motor. Cause I was like, okay, I'm like exhausted now. <laughs> and well, here's the funny part is they were out ahead of me and uh, I turned on the motor and I was just like gradually pedaling and next thing you know, I'm like, they're like getting farther and farther away from me. I'm like, what the hell? This thing is up to like full capacity, full speed. And then I realized they're like 120 pounds soaking wet. I'm 205, six foot one, a lot heavier. This motor can't carry my big ass. <laughs> like it's, I what? was way I was way faster pedaling my own out of my own volitional effort than the motor was carrying me. So I just ended up pedaling the rest of the way home oh anyway. Oh my gosh, that is too funny. <laughs> <laughs> Go figure, right? <laughs> it's like, too bad I wasn't downhill. That would be really makes sense. Right? Well, that's why I just like gravity take control and then I would fly by them. But. So there you appreciate the endurance cyclists. That's a lot. I do. I do. I totally How did your uh, legs and butt feel after <laughs> Sylvia, I woke up the next morning. I felt like a fucking truck hit me. Yeah, I bet. Yep. Not yep. to mention you're the alcohol. Forget the alcohol. Oh, the inflammation and the, yeah. yeah. Oh, we talk about recovery. I was not very well recovered. <laughs> well, I'm glad you experienced that little bit because, you know. Thank you. The more you do it, the less it happens. The less Shocker, training and progressive overload. Imagine those principles of strength conditioning coming through. <laughs> oh, I know. So, so you got your business. I mean, geez, you got so much going on. It's crazy. Um, and I love that you're going to be traveling and maybe we should have you back on here when you're in some exotic place like that Dubai. Cool. So yeah. you can like be at the top, one of the toppest, the highest, like I did uh, go up skyscraper. there. <laughs> yeah, go up yeah. there or like even on the beach. I seen the beaches and then the background and I'm like, wow, oh my gosh. Um and we can talk and we can yeah, like absolutely share some we'll stories. make that happen again for sure. But uh so now I guess we'll end up with you know, we were going to talk about the biggest challenges cuz you you're working with Olympic athletes. We talked mm-hmm. a lot about a lot of stuff. Um do you have like maybe one, like say one big challenge that you have when you're working with your athletes? Like maybe right now, because this is kind of the time when they're all super peaking, like peaking for mm-hmm. Tokyo performance, or they're either going through their trials. I don't know. Cause I've seen some on. Mm-hmm. Some are still doing trials. Yeah. Yeah. Their trials are right now. And then like, just to keep them up to performance like peak performance for the big performance yes you know so what is one of the biggest challenges right now (laughs) I I will I will tell you that when we uh went into all the COVID stuff last year and we found out the Olympics were going to be postponed we had all of our athletes like peaked and ready to go yeah and my job became okay how do we take these athletes not make them fall off the cliff (laughs) Right? Yeah, and, and bring them back down gradually because we knew we we're going to have a whole other year to, um, mm-hmm. I guess, balance them out and train them back up again. And I'll, I'll tell you this, like when, when I travel with the teams, you know, um, I'm not just the PT, I'm not just yeah. a strength coach. I'm kind of like the team mom and the psychologist as well. Yeah, <laughs> right? oh, so yeah that, I bet. that role comes into play and like that shoulder to cry on. Um, so at this point, at this stage in the game, our athletes are physically peak to their best of their abilities, right? You ain't changing a 
damn thing physically between now and Tokyo in three weeks. It's so like cramming for it, an exam. Like Yeah, right? exactly. So it comes down to the one variable um, that's often neglected, and that is the mind, right? So we have to be able to keep you in the peak performance mindset and allow you right. to be able to, uh, to perform at your highest ability. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of that is done from my end uh, through the, bre the breath. So I do a lot of breath work with the athletes oh, at this okay. stage in the game um, to keep them level and be able to balance out their parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems. But then we do a lot of uh, journaling meditation type work because whenever we get into these situations under high pressure, it's not their physical capabilities that falter, right? It's the mind that breaks down. And you'll see it all the time where we'll have an athlete um, when shooting, for example, where you know they shot a perfect score going into the finals. Like they haven't missed. And then all of a sudden we go get them into a final and they come in sixth. You're like, what happened? And some of them will go to the mechanics and it's like, ah, your mechanics were perfect. There is something up here, come back to the whole paralysis by analysis where you're overthinking things, right? And we know that we can make some really quick um, positive changes just by focus on the breath and by actually like getting thoughts out of here, out of the brain, out of the mind and down onto paper. It clears it. Right. So if you can clear it, we can free up space for movement because the movement should be happening seamlessly and effortlessly. Yeah. Right. And when we think about things way too much, that's where it causes that hesitation. And that not only sets you up for potential injury, um, but also it also limits your performance at the same time. It does. Yeah. Oh, I love mm -hmm. that. I, I really like that because, you know, I don't know if a lot of that ha used to happen, like with athletes. And, you know, the first time I, um gosh that little that young tennis player who won against Serena oh yeah I remember that um yeah you know Anna, I think of the name but Annie yeah. I don't know but she released really, but she was like what she was 17 17 18 mm -hmm. and uh young young yeah and the one thing that she said that her mom taught her at the age of 12 was to meditate and to visualize and I was like oh my god I, I just thought that was the most powerful um statement and I'm like more athletes need to be doing that like absolutely like getting into that that routine and I love that say that you're that's one of the things you're doing because yeah. and yeah, I'd be, that's, I'd be a hit. <laughs> that's what's going to take you out of the game is your, yeah. your oh my God, start self-doubt. Oh my gosh, starting to look around competitors. I mean, it happens all the time. So. Well, and, and here, here's the thing, so it'd be like, it'd be hypocritical of me for for me to try and teach that and advocate for if I didn't do it myself. Yeah. And I think that's what makes it so effective is that I, I shit you not, literally every single morning, the first 90 minutes to two hours is my time. And it's all spent with breath work meditation and journaling and maybe i might do some movement depending on how i'm feeling with the breath and it puts me into the mindset where from a business standpoint i can clear my day so to speak like organize my day and my thoughts without having to feel sporadic <laughs> and rushed and anxious <laughs> yeah, all yeah over really like, oh god i'm like a dog chasing a squirrel sometimes and it's like what no yeah, i like that too it. um <laughs> Yeah, but then it also like, and I, I practice this with my relationship as well. My my girlfriend, she's a sex and relationship coach. 
Um, and so we, we, we practice this together in order yeah. to keep our relationship strong. Oh, cool. And I invoke the same, the same sentiment and the same strategies with the athletes, because at the end of the day, like I could be the best PT out there, can write the most beautifully designed program. Yeah. I, could use my, I use my hands really well. I could, I, could, I could desensitize pain, but if they don't ever trust me and they're not mm -hmm. confident in me and we don't have a deep connection, it's all for nothing, right? Because they're right. not going to be able to, you know, have the confidence in me to take them where they need to go. And so mm -hmm. that, that's the whole entire, um, that's the value behind all this stuff. Yeah, for sure. I, um, I get up at five and I read and then I journal and then everybody's up at six. So I don't really meditate, but I put it, I put down on paper and it, it's mm -hmm. just like a very quiet time, like really comfortable yeah. chair. I'm just like sit there and I read and yeah. And well, I always like, cool. yeah. So it's, I always have, like, I pull out one of my personal, de I don't know, personal development books, one of my, yeah. my, um, my books in my, my uh, library and I read it and, um, you know, and I got into that habit, mm, I don't know, five months ago. Every, every weekday morning, I know I sleep in on the weekends, yeah, I try not to miss a morning because honestly, it like sets up your day, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, so that brings us to the end. I, this is a bit <laughs> absolutely amazing, but I always ask like, what is like, I don't know, one last piece of advice you would get, give, um, I don't know, maybe let's just say somebody who's mm. experienced some injury and they're like, oh, maybe this, yeah. this is not a rabbit hole. <laughs> it's not gonna, it's not a rabbit hole moment. I'll, I'll keep myself in check with Okay. <laughs> no, um, I mean, I'm, I love the yeah. rabbit hole because we can, <laughs> we can talk about so much stuff, but if you were to give like one piece of advice yeah. for somebody who's um, maybe, I guess, looking for, to, um, a, a, or take, eliminate the the pain that they're in or mm -hmm. is there a piece yeah, of advice I, you can give yeah i'm gonna give two pieces of advice tied into right. one here because you know I, I gotta be that guy um <laughs> that's okay so the, the first piece like when it comes to the, the pain and injury i would like to get the advice of reframing the pain that you're experiencing and actually sit with it and learn to understand it and what it's telling you and what it means because at the end of the day like i said it's mainly not tissue damage, right? It's not something physical in nature. So seek to understand rather than control with the pain. And then with movement, this is the cool part with movement um, because it, it, it actually affects the pain response is that if you explore new movement patterns, like novelty, variety, stuff that you're not already doing, it calms down those pain receptors or the, the pain response as well. So explore your dark zones, get comfortable being uncomfortable and seek to understand the pain rather than trying to control it. That was deep. Sorry. <laughs> that was very deep, <laughs> but yeah. it, it's true. It's yeah. true. And Always... find somebody who could actually encourage you to move more. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. yeah. I hate the dependency needs... model. <laughs> oh my gosh. Let's not get yeah. started on that. Oh boy. All right. Yeah. This has been amazing, Matt. I really, I'm so grateful that we were able to get together today mm. and um, just experience this together. Because, you know, like your episode is going to be, we got the Olympics going on at the same mm -hmm. time here. And uh, so if I want to thank all our listeners for jumping in. And again, I want to thank Matt. 
And um, don't forget to put your notifications on because you just never know what kind of guests that I might bring on to my, epi my uh, podcast episodes. And make sure to write a review. Matt, we deserve a review. You're going to have a podcast. You're going to want to review. Absolutely. You have to go over and check out his podcast. Um, and it's rooted in movement. So we'll put the link above. And don't forget, forget to give us a five star. And also tag us, follow us on Instagram. And um, have an amazing day. Thanks, Matt. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for spending this time with me on the Secrets from the Saddle podcast, learning more about sighting people, places, and things that make cycling such an exciting sport. I am so glad you stopped by today. Please leave me a review if you feel so moved to do so. I would love to hear your feedback. And if you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it, I would be forever grateful. Also, if you could please leave me a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving me an honest thought and an honest comment telling me what you think and most importantly, tell me what you'd like to hear more of. It would really help me to bring more great, inspiring cycling stories to you. Until then, have an amazing day. Make sure you ride your bike. And don't forget to visit my YouTube channel if you'd like to see the full version of this podcast live.